Hello and welcome to this episode of Critical Conversations. We hope you enjoy this in-depth look at the American dream. Hello again and welcome to Critical Conversations. Writing in the 19th century, French historian Alexis de Tocqueville considered the concept before it even had an official name. In his seminal book, Democracy in America, de Tocqueville discussed what he called the charm of anticipated success, that sense of drive, that ambition for betterment and self-improvement. Of course, he was talking about what we now know as the American dream. And that is what we're going to be focusing on today in this next episode of Critical Conversations. Joining me this afternoon, Miss Connolly, again, are Ms. Bakam and Mr. Beale. Let's start with a long question, but an essential one. How can we define the American dream? And I say long because I struggle to find a single pithy definition of it. And it seems to me that there are two possible strands to it. Um, an idealistic version, one of limited possibilities, um, and a more materialistic version, um, all about land and money. So um, let's see if we can get these two definitions or interpretations ironed out more fully. Um, Mr. Bill, would you like to start? Absolutely. So the first time the American dream is actually used is in a novel by Walter Lippmann, in 1914 called Drift and Mastery. And when it's used in context, he's referring to the idea that the common undisciplined man will save society through his pursuit of this traditional American dream. But unfortunately for us and for people that have studied it since, does not go into any more detail. It's in 1931 with James Truslow Adams in his book, The Epic of America, that he defines the American dream as that dream of a land in which self, life should be better and richer and fuller for everyone, with opportunity for each according to ability or achievement. And again, a very long definition, but essentially one that says, if you are willing to work, the American dream is there for you. Ms. Pekan, what do you think about that definition? I think it depends on your background. So as for me, my parents, um, they moved from Laos to America, which meant new beginnings and new opportunities for them. Now, we always think of America as the land of the free. So especially if you are escaping war like my parents did. So going to America, my parents wanted us, you know, my siblings and I, to have the opportunity to have a good education, um, to have a good job in the future, just to have stability, right, to make good money, to have food and have a home for ourselves. So, I mean, I think it depends on, you know, your up upbringing, if it's materialistic or if it's going to be idealistic. And then for mine, I think it's quite idealistic for my family. I mean, having a conversation with my father when this topic came up, um, he recently said that... Um, he didn't know much about America. He just knew that they were taking in um, refugees, and all he wanted to have was to have to be safe. Um, he just wanted a place to be safe and to be able to build a new life again, and um, to just carry on with his education. Talking to my sister about her belief in the American dream, she says that she is living the American dream. Um, she has her degree. 
she has a successful career, she has her children in a home, everything that my parents wanted, you know, us to have, she she feels like that she has the, she is living that American dream, you know, and I think it's, you know, when you were younger, as a teenager, especially for me growing up in America, being born and raised there, I think our first thought is, you know, the materialistic side of things, of the American dream, having a nice car, um, having nice clothes, you know, having money, that's what what we think of. Mm. But now that as we are getting older, I think our ideas have changed on what we think the American dream is to us. Mm. So it's essentially quite malleable that you can shape it to your own personal family needs or even on a, an individual basis and possibly even something that changes as as you change and mm-hmm. your needs and your ambitions change as well. Yeah, definitely. Could we bring it um, back to um, where we started in our podcast with episode one? And can we um, maybe long before the, the concept was defined or had a, had a label, can we try and make some links to the Founding Fathers of America? Because we're touching it. It's hard to talk about this without touching on phrases like, you know, that sort of innate rights for happiness or self-fulfillment or ambition. Absolutely. The American dream is in the American Declaration of Independence, though not, as we've already said, not mm. by name. That's, mm. the, that's the infuriating mm. thing about it. Mm. The nearest quote that you can get from the Declaration of Independence is, we hold these truths to be self-evident, that all men are created equal, that they are endowed by their creator with certain unalienable rights, that among these are life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. The American Declaration of Independence was a radical document. This is being made at a time where written constitutions are rare, documents written by the people rather than the ruling monarch in one instance are incredibly rare. And this is the first place in Western history where the idea that being happy is a right for all. Mm. And it was a a very controversial document. This is people, these are, in the Founding Fathers, people reacting against a government that was seen as a tyrant, that were being incredibly restrictive to the people. And therefore, the idea that you were able to go and pursue something for yourself was incredibly revolutionary for them but now we can see that in a modern american society that the idea that you are able to do these things because the declaration of independence and then the constitution will then later go on to protect your ability to go out and pursue this happiness for yourself without any restriction from the state and that's a big mm-hmm. conflict that can happen in american society about what the state can do to you in your attempt to pursue it Okay, um, if we sort of take the next steps, if that's sort of the origins of it, um, you mentioned a little bit earlier, Mr. Beale, um, James Trussler Adams, um, and it was coined in 1931. Could either of you tell us a little bit more about uh, the book he wrote about or what exactly uh, he says in that um fundamental text wasn't uh didn't he write the epic of america okay Okay. um and the whole idea that the dream of a land which life should be better and richer and fuller for everyone with opportunity for each according to ability or achievement so i mean this i think it's it's quite felt in about the 1920s and 30s um where the dream was in peril you know 
um, material goods were becoming people's focus. This is a time where what, the great jazz age, the the great economic boom, wasn't it? Because everybody, well, World War One was was just was the European countries were relying on America for those resources, and I think that's what um, we were being successful. Our economy was being successful. So things were being created, just mass amount of, of materials, and then we were consuming it too. And it was, I think, everything, the idea of the American dream kind of just shift. Like if I have a new refrigerator or if I have this nice car, um, and the whole idea of magazines were publishing advertisements, and that was, you know, was becoming big in America. Um, that was every, what everybody was striving for. What I find interesting about that is that in Epic of America, mm-hmm. that's not what James Trisler right. Adams was saying. He, yeah. he says it's not a dream of a motor car and high wage, but mm-hmm. a dream of social order in which each man and each woman shall be able to attain to the fullest stature of which they are innately capable and be recognized by others for what they are, regardless of the fortuitous circumstances of birth or position. So it's about achieving your potential sure. in whatever mm-hmm. area that is. Mm-hmm. It doesn't matter mm-hmm. if actually it has a financial gain. Mm-hmm. It's just that the American dream is about you achieving your potential mm. and that America will allow you to do that. Mm. But I think you're absolutely right that mm. something happens mm-hmm. and probably the 1920s are, are where it does happen where actually it's about materialism and that you're a, your ability to access that those mm. material goods that are a badge or the marker that mm. you have achieved mm. it. And the fact that you just said ability, you know, it's like how it was ability to, you know, have these different opportunities right but now it's like ability to achieve you know that 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 whole word that whole word ability that that verb you know it kind of just yeah inside ability or ability by outside environmental factors Mm -hmm. meaning whether you can access it or not yeah Mm -hmm. so we're coming we keep coming back to this this idea that is such a nebulous Mm -hmm. concept and it keeps changing Mm -hmm. um and and it's really a real struggle for us to try and define it and tie it down. Um, possibly one of the things we can do to try and uh, get a handle on this idea, um, going back to the 19th century, and a writer I know, uh, Ms. Bacham, you're familiar with, uh, Horatio um, Algar. Um, he wrote a lot of, uh, he really popularised the rags to riches story, mm-hmm. didn't he? Um, so again, long before the, the phrase in the American dream was being bandied around, um, Algar was really writing, wasn't he, about mm. this sort of possibility that was available to, to young men. Do you want to talk a little yeah, bit about he that? Was, he was this young adult novelist, and he really focused on impoverished boys and their rise from, you know, humble backgrounds to middle class, you know, society. Mm. Um, but through, supposedly through hard work and determination and courage and honesty. That's what the, and so he... It was kind of really focused around written during like the whole Gilded Age, like the whole Reconstruction era when America was rebuilding after the Civil War. Now his novels, um, they say that they were themes. They were his novels. They started stating these themes, giving these themes the name of um, Horatio Alger myth, and that myth was a teenage boy works hard to escape poverty. Um, often it's not hard work, you know, that rescues the boy from his fate, but rather than like some kind of extraordinary act of bravery or honesty. Okay. And this boy might return 
a large sum of money that was lost or he rescued somebody from an overturned carriage, you know, and because he did that, it brings this boy to this wealthy individual who kind of leads him into becoming, you know, rich. Sure. <laughs> so rags to riches. Absolutely. Yeah. But it's, so it's a sort of act of every day, but a little bit extraordinary. Yeah. There's something a little bit out of the ordinary happens yes. and the boy is rewarded right. and then gets almost like the keys the keys yes. of success yes, is welcomed exactly. into this world of wealth. Yeah. Um, and something that struck me um, when uh, when I was doing a little bit of reading about Alga, um, that writing at, a, at around the same time in the second half of the 19th century, um, his contemporary in England would have been Charles Dickens. Mm. And um, in 1860, Charles Dickens published Great Expectations, and we would f- f- be familiar with that story of Pip, a boy born into ranks, being brought up um, orphaned by his sister um, as a blacksmith, so living in sort of working-class poverty. Um, and he also does something extraordinary, doesn't he? He helps the convict Magwitch. Um, and what strikes me as a difference, and maybe this is a good touchstone, the difference in the English version of rags to riches is it isn't just material wealth. I and mean, Pip, very early on, gets lots of money, but what Pip struggles with in Great Expectations is being welcomed into the middle class, into middle class respectability. And in a way, Great Expectations is a struggle of Pip becoming a gentleman. And it's only at the end when he finally gets that middle class respectability that he gets the prize of mm-hmm. Estella. Um, and that seems to me invisible from um, Alga's stories. It isn't about getting middle class respectability. and It's instead just getting the money, the cash in the bank. Mm -hmm. Um, So possibly just being able to compare it to the old European ways and having those direct sort of polar um, comparative points is a good way of getting it clear in your mind. Um, What other writers do you think we we should consider when trying to get that sort of definition clear in our heads, how it's been explored in literature? Mr. Khan, we'll stick with you. Um, Just starting with, if we think about... um, the American Dream, we think about Mark Twain's Huckleberry Finn, um, how Huck just wants to be free along with this um, one of the slaves, um, Jim. And they want to have the freedom to come and go as they please. Um, and they travel along the Mississippi River, mm. um, trying to go north, right, to the three states. And that's, that's their dream, just have the independence, mm. the autonomy to do whatever they want to do and have no restrictions. You know, that's one of the first novels I think of when it comes to, you know, something that's not tied to being materialistic sure. at all. It's just having that independence. Um, if we want to talk about more of, like, the materialistic side, I mean, who can we not talk about? You know, well, it would be probably F. Scott Fitzgerald. It's definitely one of the writers, the biggest writers in America, who really highlights and touches on the themes of American Dream and most of his novels and short stories. Common one is The Great Gatsby. Mm. Which is often referred to as kind of the ultimate example of the American Mm. Dream, isn't it? Mm. Yeah, yeah. The whole idea of, like, obsession with wealth, you know. So we have this rural American man, Gatsby, right, and he earns his money, advancing to the social class, right? New money, working hard and dedication. But it's just the idea of like, how did he get that wealth? You know, what do you have to do to get that work? Um, to he's, get him in a position a where he's a, yeah, <laughs> he's a bootlegger. So what's the price, you know? Is it, you know, what you do 
morally correct, you know, to get where you want to be to achieve your American mm. dream. I think that that's one thing that Fitz Scott Gerald, F. Scott Fitzgerald <laughs> makes us, you know, really, you know, make the reader think about and question. I think the interesting thing about what F, what The Great Gatsby shows about the American dream is that despite Gatsby's wealth, it's considered that even though we talked about the middle class in England mm. in um, Great Expectations, actually Gatsby doesn't isn't really a part of he doesn't belong. New York society no. um, there, really. Mm. And I think the novel really gets home that idea that the American dream in some ways will always be a dream. Mm. Again, there's, the, there's the, the great quote with the idea that there's an orgiastic future that year by year recedes before us it eludes us then, but that's no matter. Tomorrow we'll run faster, stretch our arms out farther. Just that idea that there's always going to be something sure. more you could get mm. or you could have or compare yourself to. So the American dream is always going to push people forward. Mm. And I don't think it's necessarily presented as a, being a positive thing in Gatsby. Because you think, I, I think the quotation you um, you just used comes from the end um, of The Great Gatsby. Mm. And is that sort of sense of, yes, it's restlessness, which can be a good thing, that mm. sort of drive to improve yourself. But, you know, we have to just look at what happens to those characters. I mean, poor old Gatsby's floating dead in, in his swimming pool at the end. You know, he hasn't achieved dream really in any sense. Mm. Um, and, and I just want to pick up on what you were saying there, Mr. Beale Bart, um, comparing, say, Gatsby to Pip and Great Expectations. And in fact, the two of them have got quite a lot in common because you could argue that at the start of the novel, Gatsby's already achieved the American dreams in terms of the material wealth, but the rest of it is a quest to try and belong to that moneyed, respectable class of the Buchanans. Mm-hmm. And even the fact that, you know, he, he Gatsby has his various bits that he tries to present to everyone to try and you know create his authenticity whether it's his Oxford degree mm. or whether it's his medals that mm. were awarded by little Montenegro it's those little details that he keeps associating himself with Europe um, so maybe to go back to the founding fathers maybe you know that desire to to cut the ties with Europe have never quite you know been cut desperately enough or certainly no, by I think, yeah I think there's a lot in that certainly mm. by the 20s that America was still defining itself in comparison to Europe I mean it, mm. it, you could arguably that's not so true now mm. but certainly at the time when Fitzgerald was writing the American dream was still tangled up I think in European respectability and old money you know European money yeah I agree because I think it's American writers we we think about American writers didn't really have their own mm. writing style mm. They were really looking at the Europeans, the French writers, the English writers, you know, um, to as um, as a model, you know, and even with lifestyle, the way of living, the dress, the food, mm. and everything, Americans were looking at the Europeans, yes. you know, and trying to mimic what they were doing, but try to create their own style. I think it um, this kind of I think all goes back to again where your your background, like what you think of the American dream is. I mean, if we have, if we look at going back to Gatsby himself, he's from rural America. And in rural America, there's nothing going on. I'm from Iowa, you know? <laughs> and we're always dreaming of a bigger city. I mean, look at where I ended up, you know? <laughs> so, you know, as a rural American, we're always going to be looking at bigger cities like, oh, what is out there? What can I achieve in a bigger city? Is there more And that's where the American dream is. It's in the city. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I think it's, it's you think about it, think, you know, the bigger cities like New York, mm. Chicago during that time period mm. was booming. It was growing and it was so populated. 
So everybody that was in, you know, the Midwest were traveling to these bigger cities. Mm -hmm. And it was not the bigger cities. They were thinking of going west, you know, where the gold is, sure. <laughs> you know, sure. trying to go west and try to build their life out there. So I think it depends, again, going back to your background, where we look at Willa Cather, my Antonia, um, her book um, focused on immigrants, their experience in the United States. You know, they, they wanted something totally different. They just wanted to be able to come to America and have a land, you know, have land for them to live on. Um, it's about, like, you know, individualism. You know, if we think about, you know, why do immigrants move to America? So I think with Cather, she, she gives readers this kind of this emotional reality of, you know, these immigrants coming to America to build a new life, to their struggles, their hardships, you know, language barriers, cultural barriers, all that fitting in and trying to, you know, achieve their American dream, which is let's have a new opportunity. Mm. A chance for reinvention, yeah, perhaps, reinvention. starting over. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. yeah. And then you have John Steinbeck. Yeah. The Grapes of Wrath. And again, reacting to mm. the time he's writing. So if we've moved away from the jazz age and we're mm. in the time of not necessarily immigrant workers, but, but migrant workers within America mm. and how that then reshaped the American dream for yet another generation. Yeah. And we go back to, to these migrants and going back to the basics. Again, we just want a home and we want land, you know, in the Grapes of Wrath. And Steinbeck, in some ways, is that the dream can be taken away mm. as much as you can achieve it. Yeah, and and in some ways, I think what Steinbeck shows is the dream may have a certain purity based on the land, mm -hmm. and that actually ownership of land was the true dream, mm. and anything above that mm. that maybe the 1920s had developed, such as mm. sure. complicated construction it. or something sure. like that. Mm actually was was untrue and it, and it complicated things more than they needed to be mm. and i like how you brought that up about how like the dream can be taken away so is it him questioning that the american dream um isn't it is it really what, what did you say um your definition earlier um the Trislow Adams one. Yeah, the Trislow Adams uh, the, one. A dream of land in which life should be better and richer and fuller for everyone with opportunity for each according to mm. ability or achievement. Yeah, so is American dream supposed to, is it is that is that the promise or is he questioning the fact that is it really, American dream is about equality? Well, I mean, Trislow Adams yeah. seems yeah. to suggest that certainly there's an element that we all should participate in this dream and, and would all lead better, mm. richer and fuller lives, not some would lead better, yeah. richer, yeah. fuller lives. And I think Steinbeck definitely explores that in Of Mice and Men. We look at that as opposed to um, Grapes of Wrath, which obviously focuses in on one family. But I think in Of Mice and Men, you can just see the cross-section of society from, mm. from Crooks, um, the freed mm. slave, um, whether it's um, the, the Swamper Candy um, or George and Lenny, the key characters. They all just want a little place, don't they? And they're all seduced by this idea of having their own autonomy, of not being employed, not just being tied mm. to someone else's land, but actually having their own place where they're the boss. So maybe it is pared back. Maybe that's what happens in the 1930s, mm. that in the time of the Depression, that it has to be reinvented. Um, you, can we go back just a little bit? Um, Mr. Bill, you mentioned the phrase conspicuous consumption, just in case any of our listeners aren't sure what that phrase means. Could you just define that for us? <clears throat> Pardon me. Absolutely. A conspicuous consumption is the idea that, especially related to the American dream, that 
there would be certain markers that demonstrate your achievement mm -hmm. and your access to the American dream. In a very traditional interpretation of it, possessed by lots of immigrant workers, but also maybe some more traditional Americans, it was work hard to be able to provide for your family. That was, that was kind of maybe the base, base mm. level. Less associated with the land, more associated with the kind of economic output you were capable of. Then around something along the 1940s, 50s, outside of the 1920s, under Truman and Eisenhower, it then turns into something far more about what you can possess so that you can live in the suburbs, you've got a white picket fence, you've got a house, you've got a car on the drive, you've got a kitchen, you're able to afford enough that your wife doesn't need to work, mm. she wears the A-line skirts Absolutely. and things like that. Absolutely, yeah. The apron. <laughs> but, and she's got the apron, she's got the pot roast ready. Sure. But then I'd say late 50s, 60s, it now turns into what is the car on the drive? Okay. Mm. What is the television What's the brand of the television? Mm. What are you making? What are you? What fridge do you have? What are you using to make what you cook for dinner and things like that? Far more based on the consumer ideal of the quality of the product rather than just uh, possessing the product itself. Mm. And I think that's where conspicuous consumption then leads us off into the modern day version of the American dream okay. of what you possess mm. rather than what you are able to achieve. Mm. Okay, thank you. Uh, we're just going to take a break uh, just for a couple of minutes. During the break, this would be a good opportunity to review the notes you've made on the previous section of the episode. Okay, so something that occurs to me um, that could be worth exploring is... Why do we not have a French dream? Why do we not have a German dream, a Norwegian dream? Why, what makes Americans special? Is it just this sort of, in, in, I don't know, cultural imperialism of the late 20th and 21st century that makes us aware of this concept? Or is it something innately America, American? Um, so I know obviously we've touched on the idea of immigration, but can we just explore that a little bit more explicitly? I think from the historical perspective, America is, relatively speaking, quite a young country. And the founding fathers are very aware in 1776, and then really later on in the 1780s, once America has become independent, that they're building from scratch. Mm -hmm. They have no prior hinterland of, of knowledge and fact and shared collective memory and myth to hang their histories on. France does, all the European countries do, from one way or another. And all they're doing in the 1700s, 1800s, 1900s is building on it. So America has this unique problem in a way that they've got to create some kind of shared ethos and mythos around the Constitution for everyone to believe in. And the American dream, I think, fulfills that role of a collective myth that allows society to function and work and gives everyone something to head towards mm -hmm. as part of their lives. Now, obviously, this is from an outside perspective, mm. but from the inside perspective, mm. I wonder what that would be. That's interesting. I never thought of that way to be, you know, from a historical point of view. I mean, me thinking of just from an American point of view and just looking at it, I think it's Hollywood. I think Hollywood has a big part okay. in building this American dream, this, this idea that America is this great up country to, you know, achieve your goals and your dreams and everything. Um, 
I think, you know, it's it's just really depend and you know, here I am going back to saying depends on what you believe is your American dream. You know, not just listening to you, Mr. Bill, is yeah, you know, it could be it's this idea, isn't it? I don't want to say it's a myth because I do for me personally, I believe in the American dream. But it's this idea that it's something that we're striving for, we're trying to achieve, is pushing us to work harder and to fulfill our, you know, whatever is going to make us happy, isn't it? Um, and that's the genius, I suppose, that <laughs> you, I can't tell you you haven't accessed it yeah. because if you tell yeah, me yeah. I'm, living my, I'm living the American dream. Mm. Yeah. That's, that's Really, as long as you are. And I suppose if you've accessed mm. that happiness mm. in your own life, mm. then and the, the sense of, in, of a richer, fuller life, maybe maybe you have and then i mean i think it's like if you think if you believe in it and you believe that it can be done then that's something that's going to motivate you as a person isn't it um we're not saying that it's easy to achieve your dream it's 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 going to you're going to have your struggles you're going to have your setbacks but it's something there that you can that will motivate you to push you right to try to get it and even if you let's say you accomplish it there's going to be something else like okay what's my next on my list of dream you know american dreams that i want mm. it's back to that restlessness again yeah, of gatsby yeah. isn't it there's always something else there's always something else i suppose that f- feeds into the sort of ad man's dream as well that you can never actually be the, you know the flip side of this is that you can never actually be happy because there's always another pair of trainers there's always like the next model mm. of phone exactly there's always a bigger fridge mm. a bigger drive you know it's all mm. there's always something so yes it's, again it comes down to how we define it if it is something materialistic mm-hmm. it's possibly never achievable mm-hmm. but if it's something more to do with just personal fulfillment maybe it is achievable um, I mean, I, I Googled America, I just, out of interest, I Googled American dream success stories and I was inundated with these lists of everyone from, you know, the founder of Google to the founder of Yahoo to WhatsApp and so on. So certainly in terms of how, you know, Google's defining the American dream, it's like the, these sort of tech success stories, I suppose that's the modern version, you know, so a small idea. And that's a very specific idea as well, though, isn't mm, it? That isn't it? Yeah. It's the American dream that if you have an idea uh-huh. in America, mm. you can take that idea and run with it and make as much money. It is the the Zuckerberg, the, yeah. the Apple, the Google, like Absolutely. like you say. And yeah. that almost, therefore, you shouldn't be impeded in that in any way. And that's the part of the American dream as mm. well, that nothing should get in your way. Mm. If you've got that idea, that idea should be allowed to run. And then once you've made your wealth, well, good luck to you. Well done you, because you you worked out, your, worked mm. out your garage you found the idea, you built it up, mm. well done you, you've done it. Mm. And what I found so interesting, I mean, and this is linked obviously to what you're saying, what was so interesting about the names, um, so for example, um, the um, co-founder of, of Google was born in Russia, um, the founder of Yahoo was uh, born in Taiwan, um, you know, these, these aren't people who are necessarily born Americans. They're people who've chosen to define themselves as America, possibly because they some, saw it as somewhere ripe, mm. somewhere where they could, uh, you know, work, as you say, out of their garage and create something spectacular but and global. Look, if you look at the history of America, though, America is made up of, of people from other countries. Mm. That, that's where, mm. that's how we started. I mean, the first people in America, I mean, like, as, you know, when we look at, like, citizens or you know people in america would be like the english isn't it because they're the ones that came and colonized america and so it would be the english so nobody's peer like you want to say american you know everybody comes from it's mm. a big melting pot let's, and 
we're all from different places around the world. And I think that's why American Dream works so much because of of our backgrounds, our family ancestral backgrounds, where, like for me, it's my family, right? That is what makes me believe in the American Dream. All those names that you were listing out, it could be their families coming Mm -hmm. to America Mm -hmm. for the first time. And it's it's the whole idea of building on opportunities. It's so interesting because the historian Sarah Churchwell, when she's written her book on the American Dream, she talks about there being this shadow behind it and it's this idea of America first mm. as a counterpoint to the American dream that actually lots of people feel a possessive element to the American dream, that it belongs to them at the expense of these immigrant mm. groups and that lots mm. of the conflict in American society has been actually because certain individuals believe that the American dream was for them as defined in the Constitution, mm. as mm. defined in the first set of immigrants to America, which is obviously its ultimate Mm. uh, element of uh, being a paradox that the first white Anglo-Saxon settlers decided, right, well, we're the original Americans, Mm. despite the Native Americans having been there for centuries. And we are the original Americans. We deserve the American dream. And anyone else in somewhere or another does not deserve it. You see that in the rise of the KKK (gasps) in more modern, make America great again mm. motifs. It's all about the idea that the American dream was originally for one group and that it has been corrupted, taken away, stolen, all those elements leading to really persuasive language. Mm. If you want to say immigrant groups don't deserve it. Mm-hmm. Mr. Bill, you're opening up a whole new can of worms. I know, I'm so sorry. <laughs> no, I know. Because we could, that could be a whole, whole different Absolutely. episode. I mean, um, we're, we're already struggling to get you know a handle on the definition. But but at the same time, it's, I think it's mm. really, really important because in a way, you know, if you are um, uh, from a black family in, say, mm. the southern states uh, in the 1950s, is the American dream even relevant to you? You know, how do you feel? Do you feel part? How much have you bought into that? And maybe we don't even need to go back to the 50s. Maybe if you even asked, you know, um, some um, African-Americans that question today, possibly there maybe be a sense of exclusion. Um, or I want, you know, is it only after 1964 that it is truly legitimate after... Um, the, the Civil Rights Act, that it is a legitimate question or le- legitimate to really consider that everyone of every race and colour and um, religion and gender actually have equal access to the American dream. Well, I think it's interesting. Martin Luther King, in his I Have a Dream speech, directly attaches his dream being deeply rooted in the American dream. And I think the civil rights movement is definitely attached to allowing African-Americans in the South, but also hmm. in, in all of America with less segregate, with no segregation, to be able to access that American dream. The reason the African-American civil rights movement becomes so radical after 64 and 65 hmm. is what they realize is once the Civil Rights Act comes in place and once the Voting Rights Act comes in place, actually, they can't get the dream because there are so many other economic and social factors hmm. that can't be legislated against that are preventing them from accessing mm-hmm. it, at least a certain interpretation of that dream. Mm-hmm. Mm. And I wonder if we try and bring it right up to date and consider where the American dream is today. Um, so, you know, the 1960s, mm-hmm. um, you know, we're, we're going back 50, 60 years at this stage. You know, what's the American dream today? Is it still I alive? Think, I, think it, I think it can be. I think it, it definitely is for me. I think it's still alive. 
um, do I think is being threatened right now? I think that the whole idea of it, I think it, it, it is. What's threatening her? I, I think it's just the whole idea of what Mr. Beale was saying about um, it. this is only for these set of Americans okay. and it's being stolen and taken, you know, and it, it shouldn't be allowed for others. I think ideas like that from people, I think that is what's threatening American dream because people don't feel like they have the freedom or the right to pursue their happiness mm-hmm. and having that equality, you know, that fair chance to at least mm. try. Mm. You know, and mm. I think having that American dream is a chance for you to try. And, and again, going back to is this is what motivates us. Mm. Mm. I think it's still really, really very relevant. As much as maybe I'm apologizing now to Miss Pecan that I've <laughs> offered this dark <laughs> underbelly of the American dream but actually the poorest Americans are against tax they're against tax because when they make make it rich they don't want to be taxed either like the um, Americans are um, I heard this wonderful phrase I heard the idea that doormen vote for the millionaires in the penthouse okay. that they open the door for every day mm-hmm. because mm-hmm. they see well someone can do it and yeah, I'm a doorman now, but maybe it'll be something later. Yeah. And this, I'm working up towards something. Yeah. It is a great source of inspiration. And there's mm-hmm. no doubt that America as a nation has definitely been powered along by this pursuit of the American dream. And there are enough success stories mm. to keep it alive, to keep it alive mm. and to offer people the hope. Yeah. I was just watching Simon Reeves' documentary on America. And you just see that people that have traveled all the way down from not just Mexico anymore, it's Peru, Venezuela, but much further down into Central and Southern America to come to the border and just try and get across. Being sent, being a younger daughter, sent by their whole family to try and get across the border to make that life. Mm. Mm. You're not going to be standing on the border and telling them, oh, it's all just a myth. Yes. They, they believe it's true. Even if it is just alive in terms of hearsay and aspiration. And, and I suppose it's that, you know, if we think about Americans, it is that sort of sense of, t- it's that, Self, mm. sense of self-belief that's really irrepressible and a sense of yes we can you know mm. that it is doable and that very much mm. still is part of the you know the climate of of America um I um just did a little bit more research as well and I came across uh, a documentary on Netflix and entitled Trump the American Dream and I thought that was quite interesting um that you know that Trump is seen in this documentary as the embodiment of the American Dream um and it promised in four parts, um, I quote, to tell the truly American story of Donald Trump, the brash businessman who defied the odds to become U.S. president. Um, and I suppose controversial figure and all as he is, um, you know, he, he is a version of the American dream. OK, he, inher- he did inherit money and so on. But that's or even or even if he just portrays himself in that sense, if he downplays how much advantage he had already um, and, you know, I'm the boy who came from nowhere to, to wear the president's cap. Um, I think I would probably want to put uh, the Obamas forward more as a, yeah. a more of a version of the American dream who really did come from poverty and broke lots of rules and just through mm. sheer hard work and determination um, and a little bit of luck along the way managed to, to achieve the dream. So, so maybe we, it's better to go back to the previous presidency mm. to find um, evidence of, of the American dream. Um, so, to finish, 
what next? Uh, where can you go uh, and try and develop and, and read around and explore these ideas for yourselves? Um, you could read the 1971 novel or watch the film adaptation of Fear and Loathing in Las Vegas, A Savage Journey into the Heart of the American Dream. Um, as President Trump begins the impeachment uh, proceedings, examine what happens uh, in those proceedings through the lens of the American Dream. Or uh, you could read Michelle Obama's autobiography called Becoming to get an insight into what I was just saying about the Obamas. Thank you. <laughs>